Work, wealth, wisdom. This is DC Entrepreneur. We're sharing stories, ideas, and lessons from startups and businesses in the pursuit of innovation. And we're helping build a community of problem solvers and thought leaders in the Washington area. Now, here's your host, George Mocharco. This is George Macharco here on WERA 96.7 FM. I'm in the studio with Lily Kwa. Lily is the co-founder of Aspire. So thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Lily, talk to me about your journey as an entrepreneur. How did you end up working on Aspire? So my journey as an entrepreneur, I think, is a relatively unconventional one. I think some people are entrepreneurial right from the start, and that's what they know they want to do. They want to build their own business. And mine was a a little bit of a windier path than that. So um, I started doing some entrepreneurial projects at Georgetown, where I did my undergraduate, where I met my current business partner, Neil. And we worked on a social entrepreneurship program on campus called Compass Partners, which was awesome. I met really inspiring people, both working on Compass and then the entrepreneurs in the D.C. area that were helping us to grow the program. And then Went to Pricewaterhouse, kind of was in the big corporate consulting world. I, I loved my job there and then did a pretty much a 180 and um, started Aspire with, with Neil, my business partner. So I don't think I was intending to go that route, but I think entrepreneurship kind of follows you the opportunities. When they present themselves, you just have to be ready to jump on them. So, um, you know, three years later, here I am. Can you tell me what it felt like leaving the stability and the comfort of the corporate world for working in the entrepreneurial kind of startup scene? Sure. And I'll say also, I think entrepreneurship is not doesn't necessarily just mean starting your own business. I think you can be entrepreneurial in in anything that you do. So I think that you have entrepreneurs at Pricewaterhouse for sure. I think some of the projects that I was working on were entrepreneurial. um, But it was definitely a big shift. It was something that took me a lot of time to kind of think through and process. I talked a lot with my family, with my friends, with my fiance. It was it was really um, kind of a, a joint decision here. And it was something where I kind of needed some form of stability. And for me, that was kind of just my, my network of, of friends and family, and they were incredibly supportive. So I think, um, you know, it was definitely a terrifying decision, but I kind of told myself, hey, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. I'm going to get stuck in corporate forever. So I'm really glad that I made the the jump. I've learned so much in the last few years, and I've been challenged in ways that I never thought I would be challenged. So I think um, if any if people have the opportunity to do that again, I had you know enough financial stability that I could weather the the storm a little bit. I had the stability of of my family and friends to help me through it, and that was enough to say, okay, let's let's try it here. <laughs> Talk to me about how the idea for Aspire came about. How did it evolve? Was this something that you had from the get-go, or did it basically kind of unfold as you began the business? Definitely the latter, and it's it's definitely still evolving every day. Um, when Neil and I first started the business, I think the idea really came out of kind of seeing, you know, even though we were coming from completely different workplace environments, so I was coming again from Pricewaterhouse, and he was coming from a fast-growing tech company in D.C., Everfi. You know, we were still seeing some similar trends in the workplace and the way that companies were really trying to invest in their people and in the way that, you know, companies were starting to introduce things like gym memberships and yoga. And I, I know at Pricewaterhouse, they started to have little basketball courts in, in the office or little Nerf ones that were fun. Um, and, and Neil and I were starting to recognize that there were a lot of shifting dynamics in the workplace as it related to kind of this HR function and as it related to kind of recruiting, engaging and retaining your talent. And 
you know, that for us was kind of the starting point. You know, from the beginning, we've been wanting to build a business that helps companies build a better workplace. So that concept of perks is something that, you know, while it's something kind of tangible for people to hold on to, and and it's something that I say quite a bit in in my day-to-day vernacular, um, it's much bigger than that, what we're trying to do at Aspire. You know, we don't want to just give someone a happy hour and call it a day. We want to help companies think more deeply about their culture, about their people. What do they care about? How can I create a workplace that my people love? And that evolves every year, every month. So and that's why I say, you know, even though we've been at this for about three years, I'm sure we're going to continue to evolve. I know every month I feel like we're doing something a little different. So talk to me about what perks means in the context of your business. But what specifically do you mean by offering perks to people that work in in the businesses that you, you aim to market to? It's funny because while I use that word perks quite frequently, I really kind of hesitate to use it. If I'm in person with someone, I'll Mm -hmm. usually use air quotes. Um, And it's not because I I don't believe in them, but I think it's because people have very specific associations with it. And a lot of them are negative because it seems like something that's excess. It's something that's kind of an afterthought, just a nice to have. And I think, you know, trying to make a connection between culture and perks is sometimes a it's too uh, it's too much of an abstract connection to make, but I think that if you do perks meaningfully, it can represent an investment in your people. So we as an entrepreneur is one of our biggest challenges, obviously trying to stay as focused as possible. So, you know, there are certain services we offer. Um, we can't do everything. Um, our four categories of services are f- related to food and drink, health and wellness, team bonding, and volunteering. And I think between the four of those, I think we really encapsulate a lot of the core things that companies want to be doing for their staff. So they want to be doing, you know, team lunches and breakfast, birthday treats, but they also want to invest in employee mental and well and physical well-being. So, you know, meditation or nutrition workshops, massages, um, also giving back to the community, things like volunteering. And that might not seem like a perk, but the idea of, you know, your company is creating an opportunity for you to be with your employees and your colleagues giving back to the community and something that you really care about, like that is a very valuable experience. So I I think that what we're trying to do is we're trying to help companies create experiences in the workplace and, and opportunities to bring people together across departments, across staff levels. And that's where your culture comes. I mean, that's where people get engaged, where they feel loyal to their company. They feel satisfied with their job. It's this like holistic equation. And we're just starting to tap into a little piece of it right now. So talk to me about how you find vendors that you work with. How do you find people that work specifically kind of in this world of offering perks to, uh, you know, corporate enterprise startup customers? Anything can be a perk. Uh, You know, it's something where we're not really bound to say these are the 10 kinds of vendors that we can work with. Again, if you go back to this concept of an experience, really, as long as you make it an experience and you, you do it effectively and it means something to someone, then really anything is, you know, the sky's the limit here. Um, you know, we, again, have our four verticals of, of vendors, and so we have kind of our own internal criteria for vetting and searching for new vendors, especially when you go into new markets. But one of the great things about being kind of in a two-sided market and where we sit is we're kind of in the hub of all of the activity. Um, we are, you know, able to crowdsource a lot of the ideas and the vendors that we work with. So um, a lot of times it comes from other vendors making suggestions for us. I was at an event last night. Um, at the Smart CEO Corporate Culture Awards, and I was talking to someone who was saying, oh, my guest here actually runs a, I can't remember, some restaurant or, so things like that happen all the time. And I think, you know, our vendor network is always evolving. You know, we have internal feedback loops to make sure that 
the quality is being sustained over time so we don't just you know keep them and, and have them there we always want to make sure that we're staying on top of what's the cool new thing that's happening what are the best vendors that a city has to offer and a lot of that comes from our clients and our network uh, as I understand it there's there's kind of a generational divide with how perks are offered in the office place. Uh, and I think this goes to kind of a stereotype of how most millennial kind of driven <laughs> cultures have, you know, like the ping pong table all set up in there. Yeah. And they've got the office dog roaming around. Talk to me about how that's not necessarily exactly like what these kind of perks that are offered, how they're, how they're kind of more strategic and they work with the organization's brand. There's a reason I didn't use the word millennials right off the bat <laughs> because I think that I, I am a millennial, so I, you know, I can self-identify, but I think that it's not just about making the young people happy at your office by having a kegerator and a dog and a ping pong table like you were talking about. Again, one of the things that we work with in companies that we we serve is, you know, you have a a wide variety of people at your office. You might have people that are older, younger, from different areas of the city. Maybe they're commuting long distances. Maybe they are, you know, celebrating different kinds of holidays. And it's something where the most important thing you can do is make sure that what you're offering your staff is a reflection of your people and what they care about. So again, we don't only service startups. I think, again, when you use that word perks, people immediately think startups, people immediately think millennials, and you kind of really pigeonhole yourself into, um, you know, what the offerings could be. And I think what we're starting to really realize, especially in the last six to eight months, is a lot of companies that might not be like the traditional, sexy, fast-growing startup are, are starting to realize, hey, you know, I need to be investing in my culture and I don't need to offer the ping pong table, but I can do, let's say, um, meditation in the office because people are, it's a really high stress environment and people just want some time to think to themselves. Um, so one of the things that we do through our platform is we do surveying to kind of get a pulse on your staff and we can track that over time. So needs also evolve over time, whether your staff changes or your people just change. And you want to make sure that what you're offering does not remain stagnant. Your people change constantly. Your culture is changing constantly. And so what you are investing in should also be a reflection of that. Health and wellness is one specific area that I think is really important to companies because they spend so much money on health care and, and costs that are incurred from that. Talk to me about how offering something like you know meditation or having yoga you know in the break room or whatever – helps to create a healthy corporate culture. You know, tis the season for resolutions. Everyone's starting to think about that. We're, we're definitely right in the beginning of kind of helping companies think through a more holistic wellness program for, for the upcoming year. And health and wellness is something that is so important, not just in the workplace, but just in your day-to-day life. And if you think that, you know, think about the amount of time you spend in your office, it's really an employer's responsibility to make sure you're you're providing the opportunities for people to invest in their personal um, well-being. And I think what I've learned over the last year is that the way that people think about their own well-being varies. Some people want to work out. Some people want to sweat it out. Some people want to talk about nutrition and get some tips and techniques so they can eat healthier. Some people really think about their own spiritual and mental well-being. And what I usually encourage for clients is, you know, making sure that you offer enough opportunities that it's not just a one-dimensional wellness program. And I think, you know, traditional healthcare is hugely important. That's a huge benefit that companies can offer. And I think, you know, a lot of it is just building awareness for for employees to make sure that they understand what's available to them. But, you know, the studies are out there that show investing in employee wellness is going to, you know, 
improve your ROI as it relates to productivity, absenteeism, just in general happiness. And, you know, those are things that an employer can't ignore and those costs are very real. And then one of the other things that you focus on is fun and games. Um, So talk to me about having, you know, the, the collaborative atmosphere also against the competitive atmosphere in corporate culture. What seems to be working best for building teams? I think you can leverage both. Um, it, again, it's going to vary on the on the company. I, I probably sound like a broken record here, but every company is different. Every culture is different. And I think you need to identify your weaknesses and your strengths and leverage those. So there are some companies we work with that love to be competitive with each other. I'm a very competitive person, so I, I thrive in those environments. And I think there can be fun competition and there can be uh, detrimental competition. And you want to make sure that you're kind of towing the line there. But I think you can have an environment where people are competitive in some aspects and they're having fun and collaborating in others. And I think a healthy dose of both is important in a culture. Um, It's also going to depend on your people. Again, I think some people are naturally a little bit more maybe competitive or aggressive than others. And those are the kinds of people you want to get them involved in the Fitbit challenge or the um, you're doing an Olympics in the office or something like that. And some people might not participate in that because it's not their thing. And that's totally fine. I think that was one thing I realized very quickly is success as it relates to investing in these kinds of programs for your staff does not mean 100% participation. It's how can you engage every person at your company? And that's going to look different um, for different people. And you just have to create different opportunities and people self-select into the things that they care about. So people want to just get into the office, do their work, and go home at five, and they're really happy with that because they get to go home and spend time with their family, that's great. That's a great workplace for them. They, they are getting what they want, and that's totally fine. Talk to me about corporate culture. Is it something that can be created, or is it something that's kind of organic or built into the fabric of the organization? Um, talk to me about how corporate culture can be fostered through offering benefits. It's something when Neil and I were first starting, it was just the two of us. And it was something we were very intentional about. You know, we are at a very unique opportunity where we can implement certain rituals and practices that inform your culture and and create your culture. It's so much harder to change those things once you're a bigger company. Um, Not to say that you can't change your culture. I mean, I think there are really big events that happen at a company, whether you get acquired, you move offices, you, you know, there are so many opportunities to really shift your culture. Um, And I think when those opportunities present themselves, it's, it's really important for companies to one, identify that's happening and to take full advantage of that because they don't come around very often. But I think in terms of fostering culture, a lot of it is just building in rituals. I think it's, you know, what if you ask someone at your company, what is your culture like? You know, what are the three things they're going to say? You can maybe control a couple of those things, but a lot of it is in between the lines, right? So if you do a team lunch every Friday, that's great. And people might talk about how you have your lunch. But what hopefully they're talking about is, oh, every Friday we all get together and we get to hang out and I have friends that I like to see at lunch. You know, I'm not frantic about getting back to my desk because I only have 10 minutes to eat and I'm, you know, incredibly stressed. Um, not to say that that doesn't happen. I mean, they're busy seasons and that there's a time for that. But, you know, I think the lunches, again, we offer lunches, but what a company does with that or what the what the people perceive as it relates to that is, is really um, something that a company needs to uh, think think strategically about and they need to present that in an appropriate way and 
there's some things that we're starting to roll out as it relates to internal marketing and communications of events to kind of help with that. But I think a lot of that comes down to leadership and, you know, making sure that you practice what you preach and you walk the walk and it's, it's not just all talk. So do you think that um, by offering certain benefits, can you help uh, create a healthy culture out of a toxic workplace? Is there a way that you can actually reverse kind of uh, a corporate culture that maybe is built around long meetings, stress, those kind of things, and kind of create the work-life balance with employees by offering these benefits? I definitely think you can. I think you need to be careful about it because, again, this is where I think that that word perks gets a little bit of its negative rep where if you have a really toxic culture and, you know, there are some really systemic issues with, let's say, your leadership team or your management or, you know, whatever it might be, throwing something shiny at your staff to say, hey, just like have this lunch once a week could actually really backfire because what people are, they're, they're going to see right through that gesture. They're going to see, okay, they're trying to cover something up here. They're trying to like, you know, appease me, even though this isn't really the issue. Um, not to say, but but I think, again, if companies go through the right steps and so they, let's say, what, what I would recommend in that situation is, okay, let's take a step back as leadership. Let's take a like a, a pulse of the staff, whether that's a town hall meeting, whether that's a survey, you know, again, just you have to know your people and know what they're going to respond best to. But let's take a step back. Let's identify what the issue is. Let's acknowledge that there is an issue. And then through that, show that you're making some sort of tangible steps towards making improvements. Now, again, maybe you identify, okay, well, we don't have time to be with other people in, this, in, in the company because, you know, we're so siloed in our own departments. And, okay, well, let's do a lunch. Let's bring everyone together once a month, like no work talk, everyone get together. And then you present it that way to your staff. It has a whole different meaning to it. And I think that's where, again, you can create those rituals. You can create that culture and you can create those opportunities for culture to form. But you have to present it in the right way. Yeah. So it sounds like it generally has to come from good intentions in order to work successfully. Yes. Yes. I think if you're trying to do it, again, to reverse something that's more uh, systemic in, in your culture, or if it's something where you're just trying to get one of those new awards to put on your website, I think, you know, people really see through that. And yes, they'll probably like the free food, but it's not going to get the ROI that you're really looking for. So you mentioned um, awards as part of this. It seems like companies are also very competitive when it comes to offering the best benefits that they can. Obviously, you see this in the media all the time. Uh, Washingtonian, I think, does like their best places to work. Washington Post does it. Talk to me about um, how companies are trying to outdo each other with some of the best perks that they can feature. Because it's almost a thing right now where um, employees that are looking for jobs have a lot of options to go uh, for um, for for new employment opportunities. But there's so many kind of you know carrots dangled in the air with with right, a lot right. that's offered there. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I we talk to a lot of companies that are thinking about that. They're trying to say, hey, I want to recruit the best talent or like I want to know what other what other companies what are other companies doing like me? What are companies spending like me? I think there are a lot of best practices that relate to, let's say, healthcare and financial benefits. The numbers are out there, but these are still those things that if you like it's what make a company creative, unique. It's how they differentiate themselves. And it's not the only thing, but it's something that it's it's a it's a talking point. It's something that people it, you can see it in the office, you can feel it in the office, and it's something again. If someone asks you, "Hey, what do you do?" and like, "What's your culture like in the office?" It's probably something they're going to bring up. And I think that again, if you're offering something 
because your competitor is offering it or because you see someone else doing it, I think that's the wrong reason. I think, again, if you're coming from a good intention of I am, like the company I just met with earlier today, they kept on coming back to, you know, we do all these like culture meetings and they were they were talking about how they have a social committee, but they're not the party planning committee. They were saying that's not what we do. It's, it's really about kind of permeating our values through these different culture building activities. It's the same stuff, but it's just the way you present it is very different. So, again, going back to, you know, this arms race, I guess, for talent and, and what companies are trying to do to kind of out maneuver each other. I mean, I think, again, if you're doing it with the right intention because you know these are the kinds of people you want to attract and these are the things they care about, then that's great. I mean, again, using millennials as an example, there's so many studies out there that show how millennials really evaluate companies as it relates to their corporate social responsibility reputation. So you want to make sure you're doing volunteering. Um, a lot of employees, they, they there are studies that show if they're offering free food in the office, that's something that's important, whether that's because they just want to eat or maybe it saves them time because they don't have to run out in the middle of the day. You know, you have to really think about who are you trying to attract? Why do you want those people there? And then what do you think they really care about? And then that's the culture that you need to offer. Um, some of it's going to come through these parks and benefits and some of it's not. Yeah. And it's always interesting to see people that work at some of these companies that are almost brand evangelists for some of the things that are offered in their offices. Um, so talk to me about what specific perks really seem to be in demand right now. Like what things are people offering in order to attract, you know, the the, the millennial and basically any demographic of, of, of job seeker to retain them and, and keep them engaged in their corporate culture? So that's kind of actually where we've been learning so much over time. I mean, we work so closely with our companies. We, we've been very fortunate to kind of position ourselves as like the hub of a lot of the inner workings of a company. Um, and that's kind of where we got the four categories of services that we offer. I mean, food and drink, health and wellness, team bonding and volunteering, I think is a real holistic view. And there's so many things that go into that. So food and drink is not just having lunches in the office. It's also... Um, it's someone's anniversary, so we want to celebrate with some treats or, oh, it's summertime, and so we want to do an ice cream sundae bar. But there's a lot of things that revolve around food and drink. Health and wellness we talked about, I think that's something companies really are starting to take notice of. I'd say that there's a little bit of a lag time between what people say they want and then actually executing on it, but I don't think it's for a lack of disinterest. I think it's just that they really want to be – they don't know people don't know how to implement wellness programs and that's one of the things that we can help with. So is it is it more of like the personal recognition that you're seeing as something that the companies are going towards or is it like these things where you have, you know, oh your dry cleaning can be picked up here at the office and taken care of? So one category of service we're actually considering introducing is like a productivity. So we have again food and drink, health and wellness, team bonding and volunteering and another one we're thinking about is like productivity boosters, so things like dry cleaning or like spa services people ask about like manicure pedicures and um i'm trying to think of some of the other ones like haircuts those sorts of things we haven't um, experimented with those quite yet because it's a different fulfillment mechanism but you know i think it's i think it's again a little bit of everything if you're if you're a company like google and you can't offer everything that's great most companies can't do that and so you have to be a lot more diligent about what you are offering and making sure you're getting the biggest bang for your buck. For So for some companies, 
it is all about productivity and they just want to make it so you can be as efficient Mm -hmm. in the workplace because you're only going to be there from nine to five and like, or you're going to be, I'm sorry, you're going to be there around the clock. So you need to make sure that like these productivity things are in there because you don't have the time to do other things. Whereas for other companies, that's not part of the workplace. And so you want to focus more on volunteering or, you know, whatever it might be. How does someone get a sense of what a corporate culture is like if they've never worked there? I mean, how, how do they how do they know that? Is it is it something that's basically communicated through the HR department's website, or is it something that they have to experience in person in order to, to understand what the corporate culture is like? So I've actually done quite a bit of interviewing for I mean both for for our company, but at Price Waterhouse, and then also for Georgetown University. And one of the things that I always encourage candidates to do is to talk to people at the company, not the CEO or the head of HR or the leadership. Talk to like the entry level people or someone who's going to be kind of at a same peer level as you because they're going to be the ones that tell you the real deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that companies that have really strong HR departments and as they, as they think about culture and talent, they do a really good job of presenting the vibe on on their website. And I think they do a really good job of pitching themselves in an interviewing process. I think that's a very challenging thing to do. So I, I really respect companies that can do it effectively, but I also think that there's a lot of noise out there and, you know, you can't replace just being there and talking to the real people that are doing it day in and day out. So I don't think you have to, you know, be in the office, you know, to really experience it. Obviously, the more time you can spend with the people and in the culture and in the office space, great. But I think the best thing to do if you have a limited amount of time is just try to talk to someone that is going to be at your peer level and just hear what their day-to-day is and hear what they have to say about it, right? If they're saying great things about the company, that's a that's a good place to start because they're not being paid. That's not their job to be pitching the company, right? Their job is to, you know, whatever whatever their responsibilities are, and they're just there talking to you because they believe in the company and think you should be there as well. And it's, it's, it's always been interesting to me, too, how different corporate cultures, you, you know it sometimes from the outside looking in, like some law firms, you're like, okay, it's a hard driving, churn and burn kind of place. And some people love that and they want to you know, succeed in that kind of environment. And some people like kind of a more laid back, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a nonprofit or something. They want to work for something that's more kind of people centric. And mm-hmm. so um, let's switch gears here and just talk to me about the DC tech hub. Like why is it different than other cities? And, and what's unique here that we offer that other tech hubs don't? So I am going to draw on someone who's a lot smarter than I am. I went to an event where I heard Steve Case speak about his new book that's coming out, or came out already, Um, and someone asked him that question. They said, like, what what makes D.C. special? Why are we going to get people to come to D.C. and and build this tech hub? And This is the third wave? The third wave, yes. Um, And and this was kind of Q&A after it didn't relate to the book. But, you know, we were talking about, okay, New York has financial services. Boston has, like, its um, healthcare and, like, you know, medical services. And what what he said about D.C. was that people come to D.C. to change the world, you know, whether it is through the government or whether it's for nonprofits or whether it's for, you know, you know, coming on and being on Capitol Hill. It's something that people have that passion and they people are even though D.C. has a reputation for being transient, there's a reason people come through D.C. And I think it's up to D.C. to to hold on to those people. And I think more and more you're seeing that as you see a lot of these cool neighborhoods start to crop up. I think you see more and more people settling into this area. 
Um, but I think it's that passion that you have of people coming in that really want to make a difference. And you're starting to see more and more of that happen in the tech space. I mean, 1776 has been instrumental in kind of creating a hub that people get excited about. Um, you have, I mean, WeWork, right? There are, we, there are a couple of different WeWorks here where, um, you know, and you have Cove and you have Canvas, you have all these different co-working spaces that kind of create more opportunities for people to stay here and, and set some sort of roots here. Georgetown, their entrepreneurship program has been awesome. I mean, personally, as a Hoya, I feel like, um, you know, having the network of Hoyas here as it relates to investors, advisors, people that are in tech, people that are in businesses is so important and has been hugely important for the success of Aspire. So you have a lot of really, I think, cool things happening for the DC tech scene. I think it's still in the very, very early stages of growth and development. But I think that's one of the reasons that I like being in the DC tech scene. It's something where we have the opportunity to shape it and we have the opportunity to help each other out. And I think that's a real attitude that you see in a lot of these companies that are growing in D.C. is that we all understand that you have to help each other for this whole ecosystem to work out, um, which I really respect. I mean, I think it's something that, again, has been very instrumental in our own growth. So you just mentioned Georgetown University. Uh, we both Had have to a give them a shout out. That's great. That's great. <laughs> we both have an affiliation there. Um, let's, uh, let's uncover why Georgetown's McDonald's School of Business helped you on the path of entrepreneurship instead of working kind of like in the, the consulting world. So I will say when I was there, the entrepreneurship program that exists today wasn't there. I think what, you know, Jeff Reed and, and all of the deans there at the business school have done is, is really impressive. So I, I think that I'll probably give an outdated answer, but, I think that what Georgetown does best is it creates connections, it creates a community, and it kind of just makes it so that you feel like you have endless opportunities. So it's just making sure that you have at least an idea, and then you know that there's someone out there in the Hoya community that can help you. Um, So I think that that's really important. I mean, again, when I was at Georgetown, I was a finance major and a Chinese minor. Again, nothing like screaming entrepreneurship here. I did take an entrepreneurial finance class that I loved, and I, I thought that was really cool. Um, but I think, you know, with Georgetown, it's all about the people that are there. I mean, my friends and the network that I've developed there is incredible and they inspire me and they push me. Um, and I think that's, what's really unique about Georgetown and, and why I think there are so many successful Hoyas. Um, and the education is really, really important just to learn about how you think and how you learn. Being an entrepreneur means that you're constantly being challenged. And I think that you learn and grow the most when you're pushing yourself. Um, Sometimes it's incredibly uncomfortable and you're like, oh, I'd love an easy day. (laughs) Um, And you won't get that. But I I think it's because you're pushed and you're challenged and you're in an environment where you don't really know what's right or wrong or what you should be doing, you're constantly – forced to think about things differently you're constantly challenging yourself to you're you're asking yourself is this what I should be doing is this the best thing to be doing um and I've learned so much about myself I've learned so much about how I work with people um both on my team with clients um and I think that that's something that's really important if you kind of go into something that you're really comfortable with right off the bat then you kind of just fall into this routine which is which is great um and Again, I, I loved my time at Pricewaterhouse and I loved the people that I worked with, but they all thought very similarly to me. And, you know, for better or for worse, I'm working with people that are so much they're so they're so different from from the way that I think and the way that I operate. And it's 
allowed me to become so much smarter and so much more, um, I think it's, it's given me so many really unique perspectives, um, both about my personal life, but professional life that I'm going to definitely be able to take with me no matter where I go after Aspire. So, so talk to me about the dynamic that co-founders play in building your business. I have friends that are trying to build their own businesses on their own and more power to them. I could never do this on my own. I, I, you're, there's so many ups and downs and I, and, and you also just get so caught up in your own thought and your own way of thinking. I think it's so, at least for me, is so important to have someone else there. And again, because Neil thinks very differently than I do and he, he approaches problems and challenges differently than I do, we were really able to build something special because it wasn't just one way that I was thinking or he was thinking. And, um, you know, going back to your other question about stories, I was thinking about or, or the lessons learned. It's it's really about having the hard conversations early. Um, so I was thinking back again a couple of stories like one when we were signing our co-founder agreements. I mean, you're kind of going through a, like a prenup, which is so funny. You know, you're <laughs> like, OK, yeah, yeah, like, oh, if, if, you know, these terrible things happen, what's what are we going to do? Or if this happens, what are we going to do? And, um, you know, I remember there were a couple of times when, you know, we were sitting in a coffee shop or whatever we were doing and kind of doing our work. And you could tell we just weren't like getting to where we needed to be. So we just kind of went and took a walk or we did whatever it needed to be. And I just think that recognizing that and being able to know your co-founder inside and out and know when they're mad, when they're confused, like, why are you not connecting on something? And you can't really do that until you understand, like, it, like there's so much self like introspection there. Um, and I give Neil huge props for that because I think I wasn't as thoughtful about like my own working style and my own working habits until I was working with him. So I, I really think the co-founder relationship, it's a tough one because you're put into so many challenging situations together. Um, and you're making a lot of really big decisions together. Again, it's like a marriage. Um, but I think it's so important to be able to talk to someone and have honest conversations with them and be able to push each other. Because if you get into a group think with just the two of you, then, you know, you're never going to be able to fulfill the, like all the potential that your business would be able to have. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's definitely an implicit trust there that comes before anything. There has to be. Yeah. I mean, I think if you, cause you can't both be in the same places all the time, right? I think the other benefit of starting a business with someone else is you have twice as much manpower. And if you're doubling up on everything, I mean, you're not taking advantage of one of your best resources. So I think it's, um, that trust is, is hugely important. You have to trust that the other person is doing everything that they can and they have the best intentions because we're both going to make mistakes. We're both going to fail. We're both going to do something stupid and that's okay because we're doing the best that we can and, and we're trying really hard. How did you find your roles? Because I know that you're, you're the chief operating officer. How did you find that you fell into those roles? It, it was something that we had a lot of conversations about. I think the most important thing for us was that we were 50-50. So when it came to equity breakdown and making decisions, um, like board decisions, we were 50-50 from the very beginning and we still are. And I think that that is incredibly important. The titles for us were, yes, we had very um, intentional conversations about it, but it wasn't, I don't think we thought too, we were like, oh, this is going to be make or break here. I mean, like, titles don't mean anything if you don't build out a business that works. And I think the reason we kind of went that route is if you look at the traditional role of a CEO versus a COO, the CEO is really, you know, how do I think big ideas, big picture, and how do I 
relate with people in a way to buy get them bought into that. And I think Neil has an incredible talent for that. COOs are more like, okay, how do I take that big vision and how do I make it happen? How do I – it's much more execution-oriented, which is exactly how I operate. So it more came down to what are the functions of those mm-hmm. two roles um, – and I think those are where our strengths lie. I mean, right now I do basically sales. I'm a, I'm a glorified salesperson. So, you know, being a CEO doesn't really mean anything in that sense. Um, I mean, eventually it will. But, you know, with a team of seven, we don't need to have these extravagant internal operations that we're, you know, monitoring day in and day out. But it's something that, you know, that that's what we talked about when we thought about these roles and when we thought about those titles. And that's something that's important and I think makes sense for the two of us. Um, but I think it, it's something too that, you know, at this point, we're just trying to build a business together. And that's the most important thing. Talk to me about your own corporate culture. How is Aspire's culture inside the office? What kind of things do you do for fun to keep everybody that's working on your team active and engaged? Yeah, I mean, you know, we always talk about if we don't have our own, if we don't have a corporate culture that we're all excited about and that we love, then we're not doing our jobs. I mean, we should be the experts in this space. And um, I think what it comes down to first is hiring the right people. I mean, we have an awesome team and everyone works so hard. Everyone is, is doing a million things because it is an early stage startup. And I think in order to keep people motivated and excited, you have to realize everyone is doing that and you're kind of in it together. So at the core, I think that's really important. We have established kind of certain rituals. One of them is, you know, every week on Fridays, we do what we call like our weekly toasts and they're kind of just like shout outs. So, you know, hey, Marcy, you did a great job on X or Gabe, thank you for helping me on Y. And I think that that's something that we probably introduced maybe six months ago. And it was in response to a, a problem that we had. We said, we're all working so hard. We're, we're heads down constantly. We're not recognizing these little things that are, are going really well or that people are helping each other out with. And so, again, I, you know, I think we're still in the early stages of developing our culture. But I think because we're, we're small and we're agile, we're able to do that very quickly. But, um, you know, I think we have a great culture. We, we spend a lot of time together, both work related, but we also make time to, you know, get out of the office and, you know, grab a drink or um, go. I'm trying to think of some other fun things we've done. We've gone to like a baseball game together. I mean, there's lots of fun things that you can do and just creating opportunities for people to spend time together. But it doesn't even have to be those outings or events. I mean, we always, you know, Slack is something that is a huge part of our culture. We love sending giffies and really silly videos to each other. So it's it's the little stuff I think that matters. And I think if you have good people working on something they believe in, you know, the culture will come from there. Any other thoughts that you'd like to leave us with about Aspire or entrepreneurship in general for our listeners? Let's see, well, as it relates to entrepreneurship, I I would say anyone that's out there and doing it, props to you. It's really hard and I totally get it, but I think it, it's something that is so rewarding and it's such a an incredible opportunity if you you have um if you're if you're able to take advantage of that and as it relates to Aspire, I mean, I think we're just out there to help companies build a better workplace. And I think that we're learning a lot as we go and we're learning a lot from our the clients that we work with. And um, hopefully maybe we'll come back someday and we'll have some cool, exciting updates from there. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today, Lily. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Thanks for being here. Subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and connect with us on our blog, dc-entrepreneur.com. If you have any tips or ideas for stories, please tweet at us or message us on Facebook. Please tune in to our next episode, and thanks for listening.